Good morning. Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here with us today, that you have decided to worship with us. I would invite everyone to take a look at your bulletin that you received on your way in this morning. There are several announcements and the insert in the bulletin has many things on it for you to be aware of. I'm going to hit uh, a couple of things this morning, but first I want to say that if you are a guest, we are so glad that you are here with us today. Thank you, Alan. Before I conclude my time this morning, I have a question for all of our couples here this morning. If you have the perfect relationship and don't need any help with your, relate, with your uh, relationship, would you raise your hand this morning? Oh, I, see, I do see a few. <laughs> Klein hammering. For all of those who didn't raise your hand, uh, who, who don't have perfect relationships, Klein evidently does, um, we are offering for the first time ever a spiritual growth class on Sunday nights for couples called Deep Love. And this will be happening next Sunday night at five o'clock for all those imperfect relationships, much like my own. And so we would love to have you there next Sunday night at five. It's called Deep Love and we have a short video and then we will begin our service this morning. You know, nobody falls in love with the hope of having a shallow relationship, right? Not at all. In fact, what we long for is to have deep love. Well, the question is, how do you get there? Yeah, that can be such a mystery. And the truth is, we do know what's essential along that path. Four things, and that's what this series is going right. to focus on. Number one is personality. Wow, is there a lot of mystery around exactly. that? Exactly. And personality is huge, but it's not the only thing. Then there's communication, which is the lifeblood of a relationship that can be so difficult sometimes. From there, we're going to get into conflict. Now, right. if you haven't had conflict together, you will. <laughs> it's inevitable, right? Yeah, and you have to know how to navigate that so it can really bring you closer together. For sure. And that'll finally get us into the last session where we talk about adaptability. Right. This is that capacity to adjust to things mm. beyond your control. I wish we could give it as a, a package, as a gift to right. you. But we're going to do the, what we can in this series to deliver all these gifts, these four essential things, right. and then have a little capstone on something we call harmony. Yes. We think you're going to love this series because it's guaranteed to take you beneath the surface where you can enjoy deep love. Our hymn of praise this morning is number 256. I would like for us to try something a little bit different this morning. I'm assuming, and you know what they say about that, but I'm assuming that you, most of you learned this when you were at camp, when you were in youth group, children's choir, or somewhere at church along the way. And probably when you sang it with that group, you did it in a round. So we're going to do it in a round today. We're going to sing all three stanzas all the way through together, and then I'll start this group. So just those of you in the center, I know it's hard, but divide whether you think you're on this side or that side. And so this group I'll bring in first, and then after they sing the first phrase, I'll bring in the second group. The choir will help you, and we'll do a great job of singing this in a round. Father, I adore you, number 256. If you are able, please stand. We're gonna sing it all the way through together once, and then break up in parts.
did a great job. You're invited to choir Wednesday night at 7. You may be seated. Psalm 49, 1 through 9. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich, poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the heart, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches, no one can redeem the life of another or give God a ransom for them. The ransom of life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they could live on forever and not see decay. Last week, Tim Quattlebaum talked about service. Well, what a segue to our second pillowcase project, our pillowcase sew-a-thon. It's coming up. This year, we're going to do it on February 16th, and the pillowcases will be going to Houston, Texas. Again, we need people to help. Don't say, I can't sew, she's not talking to me because I'm talking to you. If you can press, pin, turn, we're t I'm talking to you. Now, I don't know if Willie and Terry are here this morning or not, but they were here last year for the pillowcase sew-a-thon. But they won't be here this year, and I've heard from a bird that Will is just about to go into some kind of a spell because he won't be here because it was so much fun last year. <laughs> As they did last year, the men's Bible class will do supper for us. We learned a few things last year. You were very generous with your fabric. You brought us drapery, upholstery, corduroy, Gingham that was too thin, some that was wrinkled, wrinkled. We spent a lot of time ironing. So we got real smart. We decided we want you to give money. We're going to make it easy for you. Just give money, and we will go buy the fabric. It won't have to be ironed. It won't have to be pressed when we, before we sew it. So uh, <coughs> Heidi has set up an account for this money to go into. So you just uh, mark it for the pillowcase project, and, and it will all go to that project. Now, in order for the men to know how, how much food to fix, we've got to sign up. So you need to do that by February 9th. And you can do that by telling Joanne Lutz, me, or calling the church office. If you're going to do something other than sew, let us know that when you, call, when you, when you sign up. If you're going to sew, of course, you gotta bring your sewing machine, bring a drop cord, scissors, bobbins, and thread. We'll provide, if you're going to do something else, we'll provide everything you need. This is a wonderful opportunity for fellowship, doing something for families in need, sharing a meal, and maybe getting to know somebody a little bit better that's a church member. So write this down, February 16th, four to eight, Fellowship Hall, sign up by February 9th, and give money. Hope to see a lot of you on that date. If you helped with this project last year, I want you to stand up quickly. My time's running out. Look at all these people, and we actually have more. Now, don't, don't you want to be a part of the fun with these people? See you on February 16th. Yeah, Pillowcase is going to Houston, Texas. Keith missed it. <laughs> How many of you know what this is? It's a what, right? It's a smiley face. How often, Grady, can I not have a smiley face this morning? Apparently not. Smiley face. How many of you have one of these on your refrigerator? None. How many of you have pictures of yourself, things you do at school, all over your refrigerator? Yeah, I do too. That's what moms are proud of, dads are proud of. But when I was growing up, my grandmother had this on her refrigerator. Right, do you know what that says? It says, to it. Round to it. When my grandmother passed away, my husband wanted the sign off the refrigerator that said, round to it. Because you know what that means? It means what? Math. Math. No, not exactly. It's like when mama says, Grady, have you done your homework? 
I'll get around to it in a minute. I gotta watch the ball game, I gotta do this. Or <laughs> Rye might say, have you cleaned your room yet? Nah, in a minute, I'll get around to it. When we think about our love for Jesus, we don't need the round to it sign. We need the smiley face sign. Because we don't need to put off telling God we love him. We don't need to put off talking to God every day. We've talked about prayer. We talked about it doesn't have to be special. Just tell God what you need. Tell God, thank you for taking care of you. We don't want to get around to it. We want God to be smiling every day because he knows we remember to say, dear God, thank you, or dear God, I need help. Can we do that? I know we can. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for these special children. We thank you that they look at you with their smile on their face and know that you do take care of them that you guard them, that you protect them, and that you listen. As simple as a prayer that says, thank you, God. Or God, help me through this test. Give me peace. Thank you, Lord, for the children, for their families, and for this church. But most importantly, Lord, for your son. And it's through him we say, I love you. Amen. Good morning. I uh, was told to be brief. You know, those of you who know me, that's a challenge. My parents had a favorite verse. This is the day which the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's from Psalm 118, 24th verse. Today we rejoice that two women were instrumental in the formation of WMU North Carolina. You have in your bulletins the brochure that explains all of this. The two women who were instrumental were members of the First Baptist Church in Raleigh. Fanny Heck was 23 years of age and her friend Sally Bailey, who became Sally Bailey Jones, was only 17. But they began the mission offering at their early age that we would consider far, far away from some of us. The, um, the WMU offering for the Heck Jones will be on uh, February the 25th this year. You have plenty of time to think about that and Although the offering is taken on the 25th, we will welcome your donations in it, in it, in it, at any time. Be prayerful about it. This brochure lists many things that the offering does, including local, national, and global missions, some of you have been to Camp Munda Vista and can attest to the work that's done there. And at the bottom of the page, it mentions Camp Angel Tree, the Christian Men, Men and Women's Job Corps, and the North Carolina Baptist Nursing Fellowship among others. So be prayerful about that and uh, be sure to look on the back of the thing from 
for some quotes from Fanny Heck. See to it only that you listen to his voice and follow only where Christ leads. Be joyful knowing his purposes are good, not evil, to his children. Endeavor to see the needs of the world from God's standpoint. And I will read that one again. Endeavor to see the needs of the world from God's standpoint. Hope you will consider the WMU Heck Jones offering and make that in your plans. Thank you. Before I pray this morning, let me mention a few concerns that we need to be mindful of, of people within our church family. We want to continue to remember the family of Lou Reese, whose funeral we had in here yesterday, and uh, for the daughters and for all of the family. Also, we want to remember Russell Voles, Heather, and the children and, and his family right now in the sudden passing of his mom, Paulette Benjamin. This was Friday morning. That service will be held here today at Boiling Springs at 4 o'clock this afternoon. And so please keep that family in your prayers. This was a sudden loss uh, to this family on Friday morning. Also, Richard Green, we extend sympathy uh, to Richard and to his family in the passing of his brother. And then let us be mindful of Donna Van Dyke, who uh, is usually here most Sunday mornings, and she is at Shelby Hospital uh, at this time. And so we want to be uh, in prayer for her. Will you join me now in prayer? God, we thank you for the blessings of each day, for food to eat, for clothes to wear, the contentment with all that we have. We confess, Lord, that as we walk along this road of life, we are tempted with much that we desire but do not need. And forgive our weakness and teach us again to know the contentment of having enough. God, this morning we are mindful and lift up those whose hearts are weighed down with grief from the loss of a family member. We pray for the family of Russell Voles, for the family of Lou Reese and Richard Green. Walk beside them in a very personal way at this time. For those struggling with recent news from a doctor and those struggling with ongoing health concerns, we ask that you bring healing and health. This week, as we move into a new month, give us opportunities to share and to show your love to others. It is a love that has changed us, a love that continues to mold and shape us, a love that provides hope and purpose and meaning. May we take opportunities before us this week to speak about this love and to show this love to others. Father, is. Barbara and Shirley have come this morning reminding us of mission opportunities. Bless our missionaries both here stateside and around the world who seek to advance your kingdom. Provide for them, protect them, and bless them with fruitful ministries. Father, we commit to you this service today. We ask that every prayer, song, and word spoken today would bring honor and glory to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our next hymn is number 402, The Church of Christ in Every Age. This hymn calls the church to be the agent of change and reconciliation in the struggle against injustice and hunger. It confronts us with the need to change to meet the needs of the world. This hymn text, which was written by Fred Pratt Green in 1969, was written at a time of great social change. In stanza one, the author states that in response to the need for change, we must claim our heritage, test our heritage, and then rise from the dead to respond. Some congregations who may feel that they are waning in the years of life, this hymn could bring them new hope for new life and vigor. One of the powerful phrases of the text is in stanza two where Green refers to the victims of injustice and claims that they never live until they die. These words both remind us of the promise of eternal life and also picture the horror of life on earth for some people. Another stanza uses the phrase servant church, stating the theme of this hymn that we, the Church of Jesus Christ, are a servant institution dedicated to caring for those victims of injustice. May we join together in singing this song with conviction, and if you are able, please stand and join in singing number 402.
our pastor has reminded us a few minutes ago uh, some of us this week have experienced sadness and loss we know others have had mountaintop experiences and many joys and the rest of us may be somewhere in between but we know that we all can come here together as the the family of God and that you meet us in our need no matter what where we are in life as we reflect on what all you've given us and done for us Please help us now in this time of offering to give faithfully as you are faithful and help us to give generously as you are generous to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Cheyenne is a first-year worship leadership major at Gardner-Webb, and so we are so honored that she was willing to come and share with us today. And now a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. 
Thank you, choir and Candy. And thank you, Cheyenne. There she is. She's moving around. Um, she is from Hendersonville. And I was reminded this morning, uh, talking to her dad, Larry, uh, who's here this morning, and, and Cheyenne's mom, and um, that my dad worked uh, at General Electric for, I don't know how many, 30-something years, and worked with Larry and also with his dad, Rip McCall, who I often heard about at the dinner table uh, many times at night. And so Cheyenne, uh, wherever you are, we've enjoyed your singing and uh, we welcome each of you here today as well. And uh, we uh, look forward to the wonderful things that we will continue to hear, I'm sure, from Cheyenne in the coming, coming years at Gardner-Webb. I want you to, to imagine something with me this morning, if you will. We've gotten off to a, a most interesting text and start to the sermon and choir special this morning. But uh, thinking in light of the text that we've just read, I want you to imagine something with me this morning. I want you to imagine with me a home where steak and various kinds of seafood are served each night for dinner uh, with some most exotic drinks as well. Uh, this home has 10 rooms for family consisting of two parents and three kids. It has the latest TVs and fine furniture in every room. Does this sound like some of your homes? Uh, three late model luxury cars are parked in a large garage. A live-in nanny looks after the children while mom and dad occasionally go on exotic vacations to foreign lands. The gardener comes each week to take care of the beautiful lawn and grounds that includes a large and nicely, nicely landscaped pool. And to top it off, this home is in a neighborhood where other neighbors have similar lives. Many cities have homes like this and many cities also have homes that look very different. Now imagine with me a home that where rats and cockroaches infest all the living areas of the home. Many refer to this side of town as the slums. These homes have one or two rooms at the most, a home where it's a good day if the many who are living there have one decent meal to eat. A home where multiple family members take turns sleeping on the one mattress that lies on the floor. Here it's a good few weeks if the power and the water are available the entire month. And just outside the home, the crime rate is rampant and unemployment is high. What's sad is these discrepancies exist within cities across America. We know they exist within Charlotte and to say they exist in Shelby would not be a stretch. Middle-class Western Christians who encounter these discrepancies between the rich and the poor react in very different ways. Some are shocked and horrified by the injustices and some seek social reform. How can these things be? We need um, universal health care for these. We need um, certain things uh, to be provided, maybe more subsidized housing. And uh, we should take a larger role in seeing that this takes place. Other equally concerned Christians would argue that we need the exact opposite, that we need pure capitalism. The, the corporations are taxed too much and we need more free market economic systems. And this would trickle down to these who are struggling in what I referred to as the slums. A third reaction could be different still. Due to misinformation or prejudice or some other reason, uh, some Christians are simply not prepared to help at all. And they would rather blame the poor for their problems. And they would say if they're really wanting to move beyond where they're at, they need to pick themselves up by the bootstraps and begin to turn things around for themselves. The question for us this morning is how would Jesus have responded? Remember the old bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, how would he have reacted to such socioeconomic discrepancies? Well, he did. And he tells us about that story in the text that we have read today in Luke 16, 19 through 21. Let me remind you of those first few verses. The rich, now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple, which only the rich could afford, in fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. This idea that he feasted. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus begins by contrasting the life of the rich man. He describes one who lived on easy street and the other who suffered in agony. 
Only a handful in Jesus's world would have fit the description of the rich man that he described. Purple linen was reserved for only the wealthiest of individuals. And my guess would be that very few would be able to say that they can relate with the rich man described in today's, par- in today's parable. Clothed again in purple, the color of royalty. The comment that he lived in luxury in verse 19 often implies feasting, which fits well as Lazarus is described as longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Scripture tells us that he was laid at the gate, some translations say, or others may say at the porch. So the rich man had to see this poor man, Lazarus, who was there. Rich men at the time, it was, uh, they didn't have, you know, hand sanitizer. I went down before church after shaking some of your hands with the flu going around and got my hand sanitizer down here. But um, back then there wasn't the cloths and sinks readily available to wash hands. And so sometimes, especially the rich would take a piece of bread and wipe their hands on that bread and let it fall to the floor. And so there's great significance when it says he would eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. The fact that dogs would come by and lick some, lick sores implies that something was coming out of his body that dogs thought of possibly as food. And yes, that is gross to think about. But clearly the poor man Lazarus was close to death. Let us remind ourselves of Jesus's audience in the first century. It would have been steeped in the belief that riches were a blessing and that poverty was a curse for sin. We must understand that as we read, as that's what many believed. Jesus's followers were most likely outraged when they heard the eternal destiny of each. Verse 22 through 26, let me read again. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Again, this was a Jewish belief that one who passed was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. And now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from here to us. In verse 30, the rich man pleads for a special, oh, excuse me. Jesus completely reverses, looking at the passage that we just said, Jesus completely reverses the conventional wisdom of his times when he explains who went to Hades, or as the Old Testament says, Sheol, or the underworld, or who went to heaven, Abraham's side. A key issue in this parable is the lack of a reference to anyone's faith. Have you noticed that? Neither the faith of the rich man is mentioned, nor the faith of Lazarus is mentioned. The rich man seems to be condemned simply because he was rich. And the poor man is promoted simply because he endured such poverty and suffering while in the world. We don't read anything here about salvation by grace through faith alone, which Paul teaches us. But instead we read about salvation or damnation based on socioeconomic bracket. The last five verses of this parable have something to teach us. Look at verse 27. He said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, They will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. In verse 30, the rich man pleads for a special revelation to his brothers. And he says in reference to his brothers, they still have the chance to repent. This verse is key to the entire parable. It suggests that he had never repented and he had never truly had a relationship with God during his lifetime. This is the rich man. The text doesn't indicate that the sin of the rich man was some terrible things that he had done, but the fact that he did nothing. 
Again, not some terrible things that he had done, but the fact that he did nothing. Some of you have heard the famous quote by Edwin Burke, I believe is how you say his name, that could, that could be wrong. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. That may resonate with some of you in the sense of remembering that quote. As a wealthy man, he would have been in a position to offer enormous help to Lazarus, but he refused to help. As a Jew, he would have been familiar with the Old Testament, Old Testament scriptures of Moses and the prophets that spoke of generosity. He would have been reminded of the, of the passage that said, be open-handed toward the poor in your land. He would have remembered Micah's words and the minor prophets that said, act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. The strong teaching of generosity is evident and clear in both the Old Testament and the New. James 2, 14 through 17 says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Later in 1 John 3, 17, John writes, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help him? Some extremists in the Christian circles declare it's impossible to be both rich and Christian. I do not agree with that. Scripture does not teach that. That's not what scripture teaches. What scripture does teach consistently is, however, that it is impossible to be both rich and Christian without simultaneously being generous and sharing with others who are in need. The most extensive teaching on giving and generosity is found in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. I know as we referenced and heard from our men last week, but we looked at these passages in great detail about a, about a year ago from what I believe. Paul challenges the people to give out of their surplus and to be ruthlessly honest about how much is their surplus. This week I learned of a research couple and I cannot remember their names, but they estimated that between 30 and 50 billion a year could meet most of the essential human needs around the world. 30 to 50 billion a year. And by those needs, what they mean was clean drinking water, sanitation, prenatal care, basic immunizations, and long-term development efforts, to just list a few. This husband and wife team estimated that if church giving Christians gave closer to 10% of their income, we would not only have the 30 to 50 billion to address many of these needs, but we would have more like 65 billion to not only help with international needs, but obviously to help here stateside as well. And the problem, uh, the problem is that most of us don't give anywhere near this amount. Last year, we finished the budget for Bowling Springs Baptist Church uh, behind, but due to the gifts of the church people and uh, the way the Lord chose to bless us, we were able to meet all of our needs. And I'm hoping and trusting and praying that your gifts, uh, we will do this once again in 2018 in the sense that we will meet our needs. But in order for Bowling Springs Baptist to fulfill what we feel called to do both locally and internationally, we need to be faithful and generous, giving from, um, from the whole church and not just a few. Not only is God calling each believer to give in a regular offering, but later this year we will begin um, to hear of some ongoing facility needs here at Bowling Springs Baptist Church. This facility and sanctuary that we meet in, an educational space, is 50 years old next year in 2019. So not only will, there be, will we be asked to contribute to what we feel called to do, both here in our community and around the world, but in the coming days there may be a challenge issued to the church uh, for, some, the, for us to be able to address some of the facility needs that need to be addressed. In order for us to advance the kingdom of God, both here in Boiling Springs and around the world, as we come together to be equipped and to be challenged and to learn and grow, we need to know that we are in a safe and secure facility. I referenced 1 John 3, 17 earlier. Well, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3 of 1 John read, Dear children, let us not love with word or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. 
May God help us as a church family to be obedient and to demonstrate that we truly have experienced his love and generosity in our hearts. A parable like this leads us to ask ourselves, how can I do more? We can't help but ask ourselves that question when we hear like an opening example of people who live in the conditions that many live in. We can't help but ask ourselves that question as we think about streets and homes not too far from our church property where we have tremendous needs. Our God has been gracious to all in offering forgiveness and for most in this room, he has provided material abundance on top of that. How can we not share generously toward his work? His work both here in Boiling Springs and his work around the world. I appreciate Barbara and her work with these pillowcases that are going to Houston. And I was, thank you for reminding me of that, Barbara. And I think, I think of Shirley and our work with uh, uh, WMU and Heck Jones, and we just completed and, and are beginning to wrap up our offering for international missions. We think of our offering for um, uh, home missions uh, that takes place later in the year and state missions. And we, as a people of God, have been called to reach out. We've been called to live. We've been called to love. We've been called to give. And we've been called to go. Let this passage simmer with us as we leave this place today. Let it stir our hearts and our minds in ways that we can give out of our surplus. In the ways that we can give even from our poverty. But ways that we can advance God's kingdom through our giving. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you that, Lord, as we fall in love with you, as we realize more and more of your deep and great and abundant love for us, Lord, let that love compel us to be generous. Let that love compel us to advance your kingdom not only through our words and our actions, but Lord, when it gets real personal, when we begin to talk about finances. Father, we ask that you would bless Bowling Springs Baptist Church, for, uh, fulfill and supply for the needs that we have, to reach out both within our community and around our world. And Father, we ask that you would bless us with generous gifts that would allow us also to begin addressing some of the needs that we have here at the physical church. Lord, we thank you for the most generous and gracious and abundant gift given to mankind, and that is the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, for the sins of the world. Father, I pray for each one here today that they have put their faith and their trust in you. And Lord, if there are those here that have not accepted that free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day. Stir us and move us to greater obedience and greater generosity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and desire membership at Bowling Springs Baptist, I would be delighted to talk with you more about that. And if you would like to pray about an item that um, the Lord has stirred in your heart this morning, I would be happy to, to, to pray with you as well. Let's stand and sing together. Hymn number 395, God of grace and God of glory.